Hey friends, I'm Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, we chat with Julie Lowe about her book, Building Bridges, Counseling Activities for Children and Teens. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access show notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Julie Lowe is a faculty member at CCEF and a licensed professional counselor with nearly 20 years of counseling experience. Julie is also a registered play therapist and has developed a play therapy office at CCEF to better serve families, teens, and children. Julie is the author of Childproof and Building Bridges, as well as the mini book, Helping Your Anxious Child. Julie and her husband, Greg, have five children and serve as foster and adoptive parents. Hey there, Julie. Thanks so much for joining us for the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before we get started in our conversation, would you take a few minutes to share why you wanted to write a resource on this topic? Sure. So there is a great need out there, for one. Years and years ago, when I started counseling, I remember looking around the biblical counseling movement and counseling at large and just saying, where are their needs? Where are their gaps and holes? And one of the places I saw was the skill and the ability to work well with kids and teens. And so I decided, you know, I really want to look into this. I love kids. I love teenagers. I particularly had a heart for suffering type issues like abuse and child maltreatment. And so I began really researching what is good counseling good, rich biblical counseling look like for, for young people. And I also teach a counseling and adolescent course at a, a local grad program. So it really pushed me to have to think well about this topic and to help others speak well about the topic. As I was reading your book, the term that came up, I've heard you use before in your teaching, it really intrigued me. And I just have loved using it ever since then. And you say a lot of times about the importance of wooing our kids to Jesus. And I often think about evangelism when it comes to the topic of counseling children. I have a 14-year-old daughter and a 7-year-old son and a 6-year-old daughter. And so I often feel like I'm assuming that invitational posture of just sharing Christ with them. So I wonder if you would talk about that type of approach when counseling teenagers or children, especially when we're uncertain whether or not they have saving faith in Christ. Yeah, I I think regardless of who I'm counseling or engaging with, I, I never want to assume their faith. I always want to hear from them where they're at. And so that means you listen well, you ask good questions, you draw them out. And I think way too often young people approach Christianity and the Lord with this idea that he's a taskmaster or it's a, a list of do's and don'ts and rules to follow instead of realizing that, that God longs to draw near to them, to have a personal, intimate relationship with them, that he loves them deeply. And any any rules or any structures he's put in place are protective and life-giving. They're not about being a killjoy or taskmaster. So I love the the concept of wooing kids to Christ because it it sets forth a precedent or a vision for how we want to talk to kids about the things of the Lord and the biblical worldview. That I want to I want to speak in ways that they want to listen and they want to know God better. So there's the pressure, right? The pressure is on you and I that we speak in ways that draw people to the Lord. 
And that's what good evangelism should do. It should represent the Lord and his ways in ways people want to, to want to experience that they want to know him. Julie, just off the cuff, I'm, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm just thinking, I know this conversation is more directed towards those who are counseling or ministering to children, but I'm just thinking of mm-hmm. as a mom, it's challenging because we want to woo our kids to Jesus, but on the other hand, really struggling sometimes just as parents to show grace to our kids and really parent as the Lord has parented us. Yeah, and one of the things we say in our family is, you know, there are no white sheep in our family. We're all black sheep. We all need Jesus. We all struggle. I am an imperfect parent and I need to be humble and acknowledge that so my kids see humility. But they also need to see roles and structures. But the difference is, so a typical, I'll try to give you an example, technology and rules about technology. And we consistently hear we're one of the strictest parents they know when it comes to technology. And I feel bad for them. And so what they'll hear is, you know, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you feel different than your peers. And I'm so sorry that that's frustrating to you. But I love you. I care too much about your heart and healthy habits and that you're not going down the wrong roads or involved in things online that you shouldn't be. So I'm always explaining. I'm unapologetic about the rules, but I try to speak in a way that accepts, I know it's hard and I know that you feel different. And so there's this, what you're saying is a struggle back and forth of, I want to meet my kids where they're at, want to hear their experiences, but I still have rules and I have to explain those rules are to keep you safe. Those rules are out of love. They're not because I'm, I'm mean-spirited or I, they're just random and inconsequential. And I think the more we're willing to talk to our kids and engage with them and help them understand, they may not agree with the rules, but they'll see our hearts and our desire to love them behind it. I appreciate you sharing that example because our 14-year-old has a flip phone and <laughs> she's <Yeah. laughs> she's not too happy about it. Well, speaking of parenting, what are some of the benefits and the challenges of collaborating with parents during the counseling process if you are a biblical counselor and you're working with a teen or a child? Yeah, I I often say when I'm talking about this, I say sometimes parents are part of the problem, but they always have to be part of the solution. That we live in a culture that tries to separate, especially in counseling and therapeutic processes, we separate kids from their parents and never the two shall meet, which is why I love the title of the book, Building Bridges, because we're repeatedly, we're trying to build bridges with young people. We're trying to build bridges between parents and their kids. We're trying to build bridges between kids and the Lord, and we want to help facilitate that. So it makes no sense to me to leave parents out of the counseling process. There's certainly a wisdom in how much you involve them, when you involve them, when actually the parents need help and they need to change the way they're parenting, and when they simply need encouragement not to grow weary in doing good. So every situation, there's no formula approach to involving parents in the process, but I do argue there's a philosophical vital necessity in bringing parents into the process because I wanna help parents grow in loving their kids well and knowing their kids well. And as a counselor, my job is to work myself out of a job. I don't want to be the one that stays in the child's life forever. I want to equip the parents so they will know how to love and disciple their kids long term. How often do you run into the propensity for parents to want to fix their children's problem? Is that a common struggle where you have to kind of help the parents reframe how they're even approaching 
the various counseling sure. issues they're, they're facing with their kids? Yeah, absolutely. And as a parent, I'm tempted to sometimes want to fix my kids' problems too. And so it's, I think it's, it's natural for us to want to resolve things. And sometimes changes can be made. Sometimes there are things that can be done. I say this to teenagers I'm working with, and I say it to parents as much as I'm working with your, your son or daughter. I want to work with you because you're your child's wise counselor. I want to equip you. And I want your teen to know that they can build a relationship with you and have a better relationship with you. So it's all about that building bridges back and forth. And then the, the wisdom is to know how to go about doing that in each situation. There was a quote that you wrote that really touched me. You said, children are embodied souls with both temperament and character that need to be shaped and developed by the gospel. There's a really neat reflection there that you highlighted. Would you explain the difference between temperament and character? Sure. Um, so here's here's one way of thinking about it. Character tend to be developed traits. Those are learned moral behaviors. It could be sinful or godly, moral, immoral, self-serving, selfless. But temperament tend to be innate characteristics found in each person. Or another way of saying it is they're creational in nature. So our kids aren't born blank slates. You talk to any parent and they'll often say things like, oh, they came out of the womb screaming and rambunctious, or they, they came out of the womb peaceful and calm. And and since they were little, you know, they were like this, or they were more extroverted or introverted. So character encompasses developed traits and moral choices about who a child will become, where temperamental attributes tend to be innate, their individual tendencies uh, towards being introverted or extroverted or loud or quiet or organized or disorganized. And both, both need to be redeemed. Both need to be submitted to the gospel and the Lord. But that is where we tend to struggle, both as adults, teachers, counselors, and parents, figuring out when is this a weakness that I need to give grace to and help shepherd? And when is this a moral issue, a character issue that should concern me or may need discipline? Parents and counselors can wrestle when they look at a child or teen to try to distinguish, is this a sin issue or a temperamental strength or weakness? So what, what would be some examples? The typical one that comes up in counseling is ADHD, hyperactivity, disorganization. Is my child intentionally ignoring me or is this a weakness? I'll give a personal example with one of my kids. I have a daughter who's a slow processor. You know, some kids, they just process really fast. They talk really fast. She's a slow processor. And at an early age, I would notice, I would say, hey, honey, can you get up and go put this away for me? And there were several times where she wasn't doing it what I thought should be immediately or in a timely manner. And just about the time I was to get agitated or frustrated with her and repeat it, I would see her slowly get up and go do what I asked her to do. And it became this, this conviction in me that here I was probably about to scold her or correct her for not doing what I asked her to do in what I thought was a timely manner. But without, without me saying anything, she was getting up and doing it. And there became this theme that I saw that she just processes information more slowly. Now, fast forward to a teen years where I would see, I'd ask her a question and she wouldn't answer and it would take her what I thought was an absurdly long time to answer. But it was not a defiance or an unwillingness. It was a more an internal struggle to put together her words and her feelings and her thoughts and articulate them. 
And the more she felt pressure externally from one of us to do it, the more it actually made her freeze and the less she felt able to do it. So here's a great example where I could have read that as defiance or you're not answering me or you're dragging your feet really was more of a, I've come to learn she processes things slowly. When she's emotional, she processes them even more slowly and love and grace and discipleship means I'm just going to be patient and wait, or I'm going to find ways to ask good questions that draw her out. So that changes where there are kids who are defiant or not receptive. And so I'm always and as parents, we don't always get it right. As counselors, we don't always get it right. But that's our goal. Our goal is to slow down enough to say, is this, is this a weakness that needs to be worked on? Is this a sin issue that needs to be worked on? But it does often change the way we engage then. We choose to show grace in places that we know kids are really struggling and it's not willful. Even when my kids are broken over their own sin, I want to show grace because the brokenness is there. The receptiveness is there. We want to nurture those things rather than shut them down. In the book, you brought up a term that I had not heard before, and it was expressive activities. And I appreciated how carefully you offered the reader a biblical rationale for expressive activities, which can actually serve to help counselors enter into the world of the child that they're seeking to help. Can you give a high-level overview of what an expressive activity is and how these methods can fit into a biblical counseling model of care? Sure. Let me try to give you my, my clumsy expression of it. So there's there's lots of words people use, and I like the word expressive activity because it just describes what you're doing. You're taking activities, toys, puzzles, games. You're taking things that meet children and teenagers on their level, and you're using it to help them express themselves. So that's, that's as simple as it gets. Expressive activities are demonstrative. They're winsome ways to draw out what's going on in their hearts and mind. So the play therapy world talks about play therapy activities. Um, they use a lot of language like that. Unfortunately, when we hear that, we hear play therapy, we think, oh, you're just sitting around playing with kids. Instead of, no, there's a thoughtful way that you are attempting to engage children with the use of resources and activities. And it could be coloring or art. It could be puppetry. It could be lots of different things, but it's expressive in nature. It gets the children to articulate what's going on in their inner world or teens to articulate what's going on inside without always relying on their ability to articulate with words. Why is this important as Christians? Well, in the book, I give a couple examples that have been really powerful to me. So we all know the story of Helen Keller, who was born blind and she couldn't hear. And there's the movie, The Miracle Worker, where it talks about Ann Sullivan. The movie is actually about Ann Sullivan, who reaches into Helen Keller's dark and confusing world and just goes to great lengths. Here is a, a child who's violent, has outbursts, can't communicate with ours, those around her. Her world's dark and lonely. But Anne Sullivan enters into her life and endeavors to break through that and goes to great length to give her words to speak, uh, meaning those hand gestures and, and writing on her hand. And what she's doing is she's giving her a way to express her inner world. And sheer commitment and dedication leads Anne to using hand signals and objects under Helen's dark experiences. That's that's the kind of incarnate love, incarnate love we want to give when we're trying to get to know different populations like kids and teens. The same with missionaries, right? Missionaries go out into the world. They, they enter into 
other worlds and experiences and seek to fully envelop themselves in their culture and their mindset to, to minister an unreached group. Well, when I think of using expressive activities, I think it's very missional in nature. We're, we're going into the world of young people and we're seeking to know them and hear them and draw them out in ways that they can express their inner world. And that's really creational in nature. You think of using sand trays or playing in the sand or using toys and miniatures. And you think of using animals and we have therapy dogs we use at CCEF. These are all creational in nature, things that, that God created that naturally draw us near to him, but also speak back into their world. Yeah, I really love that you took the time to unpack that for the reader. I know I, I benefited greatly from it. So thank you for taking a few minutes here in the conversation just to talk about it. I wonder if you might also help us understand how talking about scripture as a story help children better connect their life needs and experiences back to the Lord Jesus. Well, you look at Scripture, scripture is one big redemptive story from beginning to end, and we know the end is not complete. We're all part of that story, and I love talking that way to young people because, again, they kind of detach themselves from biblical times, from scripture in general, and when you start talking about in terms of God's great redemptive story, where he is from Genesis to Revelation, wooing us back to him, and you see these patterns of how we tend to relate to God and what happens when we when we wander away and how God woos us back to him and sometimes disciplines us. And so you have this story unfolding of scripture of God's love for his people and that he never abandons them and he's regularly moving towards them. And then you, you help kids say, you and I are in that story. We're a part of this great redemptive story. And God works the same way in your life that he's worked in the Bible and he He's worked in Joseph's life and Esther's life and David's life. And you want to help connect them to the themes of Scripture because God is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. The same God that performed miracles in Scripture is the same God who's actively at work in your struggles and your circumstances today. Julie, I want to take just a quick minute to acknowledge the fact that you do have a little birdie chirping in the background, and that is not at all a problem. But I was just, as you were talking, no, don't apologize. I just want to acknowledge it so that the listener knows. But also, I think it's kind of funny because we're talking about creation and the creational aspect of (laughs) some of our counseling, and and we've got birds chirping in the background. So I think that that's just a wonderful little uh, reminder. I think that's great. Um, What is your bird's name, by the way? The bird's name is Pippin. Pippin, (laughs) all right. From Lord of the Rings. Okay, (laughs) that's awesome. There is an activity worksheet you present in the book called Taking Thoughts Captive. And so before I go further with this question, I want to just let the listener know that this particular resource you've put together, you know, it's like half of it is, you know, written content and you really taking the reader by the hand, explaining how to build bridges with children and all of the things we've been talking about so far. But the latter half of the book, or maybe a little bit more than that, is actual mm-hmm. practical tools that the listener or the reader can use and to implement in their counseling of children. And this includes printables, worksheets, journal prompts, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And so that's what I want to take a minute right now to talk about just to give the reader and the listener an understanding of what exactly is even in your book. And just a quick note too, that when you purchase Julie's book, Building Bridges, New Growth Press gives the reader a code that they can use on their website to get 
access to downloads, colored versions of each of the interactive charts and graphics with the option of creating printable posters even for their ministry. So you get this little book and it actually is so much more than just sit through and read at one time. It's highly interactive. That being said, there was one activity in the book called Taking Thoughts Captive and it shows mm -hmm. an outline of a person's head with three flies buzzing around it. And so I wonder if you might just explain that particular worksheet and how it might be used just so we can kind of give the listener an understanding of the types of tools you're providing in this resource. Yeah, so I wanted the book to be very practical. I wanted people to say, well, this all sounds great, Julie, but how do we actually do it? And that's, so giving counselors, youth pastors, even parents the tools to do that um, was really exciting for me. So here's one example where I do use with kids often, and especially think of our time and culture where there is a lot of anxiety in people at large, but kids and teens are experiencing huge levels of anxiety. And so one of the ways I can talk to them or speak back into their world about these anxious thoughts are, are taking them captive. So you have 2 Corinthians 10, where it says that we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And I use this imagery, and there's probably lots of ways you could do it. And that's, again, another theme of the book is to say, I am just giving you ideas, but we all have the ideas. We can all change them and morph them. That's the beauty of resources, that you use them in the way that they are most helpful. So I'll often talk to a young person like a teenager and say, you know, anxious thoughts can sometimes feel like a fly buzzing around your head. You have one buzzing around and it's annoying and it bothers you, but then another one comes along and another one comes along until you feel you are, you're overwhelmed with all these anxious thoughts. Well, let's slow it down and talk about what does God say? It says, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. So I want to give kids and teens this picture that they can resonate with and talk about how even though our upsetting thought may be hard and we don't know how to deal with it, that we can take one at a time. So what does it look like to take a thought captive, to grab onto it and make it obedient to Christ? Well, what does the thought say? What does truth say? Or what does God say about it? What's reality say about it? So you're taking it captive. You're making it obedient to what is really true. And then you're choosing what to do with it. And it's, it's a picture of how you can slowly take each thought and choose to do something with it so it doesn't overwhelm you. And sometimes kids will stick stickers on the page and will say, what's this thought? What's this thought? And so you have stickers of flies and they're, we're just doing a brain dump and brainstorming of all the things that make them feel anxious. But then we start to take one at a time and say, all right, let's speak truth to that thought. What is true and what's not true about it? And we start picking it apart and we look for ways to winsomely speak the Lord's truth into it and what God has to say about it and how we can encourage them and then we want to be really practical about, well, what can you do with that thought? How do you get rid of it? How do you destroy that thought? How do you throw it in the trash can? And there's all kinds of winsome ways you can talk about it depending on the age of the child. We've got time for a couple more questions. And so I want to ask you, uh, this is kind of a fun question. And so I hope you don't mind that I'm, I'm prying into Julie's world now a little bit. But <laughs> I am sure you have a wide variety of tools you keep handy in the counseling office. But would you share Julie Lowe's top three props or books or tools that you use often to help connect with the children during the session? Yeah, well, 
I have the book broken up into how to draw kids out, activities that draw, and then activities that speak in. So I'll, I'll start with some drawing out activities. Actually, a sand tray and using little miniatures and doing family maps or having kids. Kids love to play with toys. Um, and you get so much more rich answers out of them when you give them that tool. So, for example, I might say, I want you to go over to the shelf full of miniatures. And I want you to pick out a miniature that represents each person in your family and bring it over to me. And then tell me about each one. And, you know, the depth and sometimes the maturity and sometimes the information you get out of that child is so much richer when they have a little object. And it could be an animal or a truck or you know, gummy teeth. And kids are just incredibly creative. And so think if I were to sit and say, well, tell me about each person in your family, they might give me factual information. They might, depending on their maturity, be able to say what they like or don't like in their relationships. But when you give them a picture or you give them a, a little toy that represents them, you hear them talk about the strengths and weaknesses and how they relate to them. Even in their relationship with the Lord, so I'll often say, pick, pick a uh, an object that you think represents how you see God. And I've had kids pick anything from an ambulance to a superhero to a tree. You know, one of the most fascinating ones was when a child picked a tree once. And I said, so tell me how this tree uh, represents God. And the child, it was a, a boy, maybe 11 years old, said, well, it, it looks very stately and powerful to me, but it feels inaccessible meaning I don't have a relationship with it. I thought, wow, I never would have thought of using a tree to represent a relationship with God. And it gave me insight into where he struggled, that he saw God as this powerful being that he, he was in awe of, but he didn't feel a personal connection to him. So I love the, the use of miniatures for that reason. Several of the activities in the book, I, I tended to put a lot of activities that I use often in the book, coloring emotions, um, My Many Colored Days by Dr. Seuss. There's some really good children's books that you can creatively take and turn around and use in counseling or to speak uh, back into a child's life. And the nice thing about that is if you don't feel particularly creative, you have books and resources that help you speak into that. So I love miniatures. I love using books. Uh, with teenagers, I love using music and YouTube videos to speak into their world and get them to, to think back into it. And I really like stickers for little kids. I just think kids will get involved in activity. They'll tell you a lot more if they have a chance to stick stickers on a page while I'm drawing them out and getting them to talk. So those would probably be some of my favorites. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing those tools. I think it's really neat how you have just over the years incorporated different resources to be able to tap into the worlds of the children that you're counseling. Well, Julie, we are at the end of our show I'd like to ask you to do something that I ask every guest of the Hope and Help podcast to do, which is to speak directly to the audience. There may be someone listening to this episode who counsels or ministers to children in some way, but they have grown discouraged by how hard it is to engage children in meaningful conversations. What would you say to that person to encourage them to persevere in building gospel-infused connections with the young people they care for? Yeah, I would say you're right. It is hard. It is really hard drawing out kids. And some of the re reasons for that is because there are more competing voices wooing our kids than ever and threatening to influence them. So I love Galatians 6 where it says, don't grow weary in doing good. 
And that's often what I say to parents, don't grow weary in doing good, though it looks like you don't see the fruit of it. Trust that given genuine care, consistent pursuit, winsome patience and and asking good questions that young people can and will share deeply with you. You will build bridges with them. So don't grow weary in doing good. Well, thanks again, Julie, for joining us today. I want to give you the opportunity to connect with the listener. If there's someone who wants to learn more about your ministry and different resources that you have available, where's the best place that they can connect with you online? Sure. So you can connect with me at ccef.org. Again, that's the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. We have lots of blogs and wonderful resources. And then you can also find my book at New Growth Press, um, who has published the book. And I'd love to hear from people. Well, thanks again, Julie, for joining us for this conversation. It was really rich, and I'm really thankful you took the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.